WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 42, all about Minas Tirith. Chapter 1, Book 5 of The Return of the King, being the 42nd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Jen Northington. She's the manager of editorial operations at Book Riot, as well as the co-host of SFF Yeah, a sci-fi and fantasy podcast. Welcome, Jen. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I thought as a Book Riot manager slash editor and a sci-fi podcast host, I was like, Hopefully, I'm hitting some Venn diagram where she's also interested in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I was when I finally saw the notification, because of course, you know, the way that Instagram works is continues to be a mystery to me. (laughs) Um, I got so excited just because I love the name of the I like I love a pun. I love a fantasy pun. So, you know, the name of the podcast (laughs) endears you to me immediately. And yeah, especially um you know a deep dive into a chapter sounded like a lot of fun so i am i am delighted to be here i'm a tolkien nerd from like way back so yeah tell me a little bit about how you got into lord of the rings yeah so my mom read to us a lot when we were i have two brothers and she read to us a lot when we were kids and she read us the hobbit when we were really little like complete with voices and she sang the songs like she decided you know musical sort of tunes for the songs in The Hobbit and the whole nine yards. She also read us the Chronicles of Narnia. Like we got we got it all. And I was just thinking about this in the lead up to the show. I remember I don't know if it was actually the first time I had read them or not, but I remember being on a family trip. I must have been like 11 ish. And I had gotten a set of the Lord of the Rings from the local thrift store that were these really old school covers. And I was I like felt so cool with my, you know, like 70s Lord of the Rings paperbacks. And I left the two towers (gasps) on the plane in the seat back. And my brother, my older brother, was so angry at me because we were trading off who got to read what when. And like, and also now the set was ruined and it was, you know, like a thrift store find. They didn't cost a lot, but like the the emotional value was very high. Yeah. <laughs> so. By any chance, was that copy of Two Towers, did it have um, Gimli on it and it looks like he has a mullet? No, no, but now I wish that because that is that's another very infamous, like iconic uh, book cover that has been talked about. It's like legend now for for this podcast, because one of my one of my guests who comes on a lot uh, has that version. And I think it's I can't remember. It's like Gimli and Legolas. Uh, are on the cover and it looks like Gimli's head has been like photoshopped almost onto another man's body and I think he either him or Legolas have a mullet and it's like so iconically I guess 80s yeah that sounds I'm you know I is what's gonna happen after we hang up is I'm gonna fall down a covers rabbit hole uh so that's definitely gonna happen no this gave me a chance to dig out I have a like a boxed hardcover set that was produced oh gosh I don't know probably the early 2000s and it's like very fancy and illustrated and you know um 
like very sort of classic looking. And so I got to dig that out and read the first chapter of of Return of the King in my fancy, fancy hardcover. Oh, that's great. Yeah, one of these days I'm hoping that I'll have a I'll have a dedicated office space and I can have a huge bookshelf and I'll have an entire shelf just dedicated to having different versions of Lord of the Rings. Because that is the dream. There's some weird weird covers out there and then there are Mm -hmm. also some like very beautiful editions made and i want want to own them all is the problem so that is that is always the problem (laughs) yeah that's absolutely true yeah this is the alan lee edition of the hardcovers the alan lee illustrations are my favorite just because they're so sort of ethereal and like beautiful but but I I mean I now I'm dying of curiosity about this mullet edition so I'll have to send you a a picture of it once we hang up because it's it's pretty good yeah yeah it's great it's great well listeners this is it y'all we're here this is return of the king I can't believe I'm starting this at last uh (laughs) as I went to a couple nights ago when I went to start this chapter Because side note, this chapter is long. I did not realize that at first. Because a lot of the chapters in Two Towers are like 10 to 15 pages. This one's like 23, I don't know. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to read this all in one sitting. I will lose my mind. And I went to pull it out. And I made a, t- I made a TikTok of me getting ready to read it. And it's set to O oh, Fortuna. Um, <laughs> and I'm really proud of it. So I'm just sharing Nicely that. That, like, that was what was going on in my mind when I was pulling this off the bookshelf and opening it up. And I was like, it's happening. Uh, yeah. So this is chapter one. Minus Tirith. Minus Tirith. I never know how to pronounce that correctly. How do you pronounce it? Ooh, I have always gone with Minas Tirith, but I don't know why. I have, I do not know why. Probably my mom. Probably that's how my mom said it. Oh, also, I didn't even like get a. Uh, I didn't even jump in and say that's so cute that your mom would do all <laughs> the voices and songs and everything. That's so amazing and fun. Yeah, she is. She was my original fantasy nerd uh, guide, and my dad, he was the one who had us watching Star Trek every week when it was on. So like. Like my come by my sci-fi fantasy cred, you know, from early days. Yeah, that's great. It's like they knew that one day you were you would have a podcast about sci-fi yeah. and fantasy. Like exactly, they're like yeah. we've got to we've got to prepare her for life. Every now and then they threaten to listen to the podcast, and I'm just like, please don't, and or please don't tell me about it afterward. <laughs> yeah, and I actually, side note, I actually just finished rewatching all of the movies. Yeah, which a lot was of people are doing that in quarantine. Life, well, and I'm very yeah. jealous because I can't watch the movies yet. This was pre-quarantine. Uh. Uh, it just happened to be like very like it was like mid-February before oh, okay. everything gotcha. went to total shire here in America. Oh, sorry. Bleep. Um, That's OK. <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was pre, you know, the full on situation. But I and it was it was kind of a trip reading this because I had forgotten some of the like not maybe huge differences, but I think important differences between choices they made, especially around Denethor in the movie versus in the book. So that was, now I'm like dying to get back in and reread all of them and be like, oh, that was different. Oh, that was different. So. Oh, interesting. Because Denethor was, I guess I'll, I'll talk about when we get when we get to him yeah. in the chapter. But from what I can kind of gather from what people have said is that like for Two Towers and Return of the King, it's not so much that like, they changed what happened in the book. It's that they did, a, they played a lot with the 
chronology of what happens in the book versus the movie because it plays out a lot smoother in the movie than it does in the book I think I mean that's a low bar but (laughs) yeah it's well I mean I don't now I don't know if I should talk about it because I don't necessarily want to like spoil or yeah definitely don't, don't give too much away but from what I think I can gather is that like there are bits and pieces like every now and then where it'll be like oh this was in two towers the book but Someone said this is actually in Return of the King, the movie. Yeah. The the thing I'm thinking of specifically that came up in this chapter was a real choice to change how Denethor is handling a certain situation. I'll be vague about this. Okay. So they make a choice about how Denethor is handling a certain situation. And I think it makes his character a little less sympathetic in the movie. I mean, his character's great in the movie. The actor is fantastic. I think they really capture the spirit of Denethor. There were some choices made in the movie that make him even more sort of... uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? Like, even more of a control freak and resisting certain things than he was in the book. I can see where they might have, like... Just from this kind of brief introduction that we have from him here, I can see where they might have taken those aspects from him here and like emphasized them for the movie. Because I definitely, I got a lot of mixed vibes from him. I was like, I don't know how to feel about you, dude. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, are you, are you good? Are you, are you going to betray us like five chapters into this thing? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to Mm -hmm. do here. But that's not, this isn't about the movies yet. This is about this chapter, chapter one, Minas Tirith. And it starts off with Pippin. I love it. The first sentence is like, Pippin awoke from wrapped inside of Gandalf's cloak. And I just love that this epic book starts out with Pippin swaddled up like a baby in Gandalf's cloak. (laughs) And they're riding on a horse. Shadow facts, I should say, of course. How could we forget shadow facts? And they are rapidly approaching Gondor and Minas Tirith. And they notice that there are lights off in the distance. And Gandalf says that it is Gondor calling for help because there's obviously going to be a huge battle and a, and a huge war about to begin. Gandalf uh, starts telling Pippin about some of the like history of the land, of course, classic Tolkien. We can't we can't walk through a single field without him telling us the like history of each blade of grass. <laughs> but I like that it says Pippin became drowsy again and paid little attention to Gandalf telling him about the customs of Gondor. And I was like, same, <laughs> same. And then, oh, this is also a great line. Uh, Gandalf says, if Gondor falls or the king is taken, then the Shire will be no refuge. And Pippin says, you do not comfort me. <laughs> Yeah, Pippin is not here to play. <laughs> yeah, he's like that's that's like not not a great thing, dude, for you to say. This isn't helping at all. Also, yeah. this is you said when we were emailing back and forth, you were saying like I have a lot of Pippin thoughts, and this is a great just kind of like a general thought. This is a great chapter for Pippin. He like has a lot of character growth, and I like almost have come to respect him, which is so funny because like. <laughs> Of all the characters for me to respect, I don't think Pippin would ever, like, be one of them. Because it's like, oh, it's just, it's Pippin. It's fun, happy Pippin, Merry and Pippin. And 
This is like a great chapter for him. Yeah, I actually, I was remembering as I was reading this that this was the point at which I stopped being annoyed by him when I was a younger reader because I was always a Mary fan. Like Mary was... Oh my gosh, like if you. If you made me pick a hobbit, it would be Mary, like hands down, no questions. And, you know, Pippin is always messing things up. Like he's just the, you know, like, I don't even know if I thought he was funny. I was just like, oh, Pippin, like stop messing around. Stop ruining everything. Now you've summoned the Balrog. Like what's wrong with you, (laughs) Pippin? So annoying. And then you get this and you finally start. And right. And then he, he like holds the stupid orb and like reveals stuff to the enemy. Right. Like he's always messing up. And this is the first time I can remember being like, oh, maybe he's not the worst. Like maybe Pippin is not the actual worst. Maybe he is just like actually him getting separated from his friends is the thing that will wake him up a little bit and, you know, have him take some responsibility and accountability instead of just faffing around all the time. Oh, my gosh. My like my mouth fell open because it's <laughs> it's like scary how similar our thoughts about Pippin are and and like the because that was those are my exact thoughts, too, is that up and up until now. I've really only enjoyed Pippin because it usually provides Gandalf with an opportunity to give like a great one-liner. At right. Him. And yeah, and so it's it's nice now that he's not he's not annoying. He seems like a very he's a very like genuine character now and he's not just he's come a long way since being a he's still a fool of a took. Right. But he's he's come a long way. He's a little le- he's a little less foolish and a little more took tookish. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's growing. He's growing. He's he's learning a little bit finally, and yeah. and having to you know be on his own. He can't just fall back right on the other hobbits to like Mary's going to clean up after him again. You know that's not an option anymore because he messed up one too many times. And so yeah, and also there are some like there are some really nice interactions between him and Gandalf in this chapter, which you know like you were saying, it's usually Gandalf yelling at him. Yes. So. Oh, God, where is it? I swear I wrote down at one point, like, this is weird. Gandalf is being nice to him. (laughs) I was like, who are these characters and what have they done with Gandalf and Pippin? Right, right. I'm looking at the section where uh, when they're passing through somewhere and they've been stopped by some guards Mm -hmm. and Gandalf is trying to get them through and he says his name is Peregrine, a very valiant man. And it's just like, wait, who are you talking about yeah. now? <laughs> like, are I you love talking that. about the same Pippin? Is that, are you right? And then Pippin's all insulted for being called a man. He's like, yeah, I'm not a man, I'm a hobbit, yo. <laughs> yeah, so Gandalf is, he's introducing themselves to these, I guess, guards into the land. I, I'm. This happens so often where... Tolkien will, he'll mention like 20 different descriptions of the landscape and locations and names of things. And I'm like, I still don't really know exactly where you are right now. Right. Because I don't think they're, I think they're like, they're nearing the city is where they are right now. Gondor has a lot of walls is, is I think what is the situation here like they have a lot of gates a lot of walls that you have to pass through before you even get to the city walls and so it's just one of many walls right yeah so they come across all these guards 
And for a second, I thought we were going to meet Faramir, and I was very excited, but we do, not meet, we do not meet Faramir. And yeah, so <laughs> yeah, Gandalf says, his name is Peregrine, a, va- a very valiant man. And then like kind of at the same time, one of the guards says, man, dubiously, and the others laughed. Man, cried Pippin, now thoroughly roused. Man, indeed not. I am a hobbit and no more valiant than I am a man, save perhaps now and again by necessity. Do not let Gandalf deceive you. So I love that he's like, I'm not a man. I'm a halfling. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and then he lets slip that Boromir is dead. And Gandalf yeah. is like, oh my God, why did you say that? We are... About to go meet Boromir's dad, and he is not going to be in a good mood. And the guards are kind of like, I mean, we suspected that Boromir was dead, but we weren't 100% sure. Obviously, this now confirms it. And so Gandalf is very concerned throughout this whole chapter about what Pippin is going to accidentally say, because they don't want to reveal too much information to Denethor. It's a very like thin line they have to walk of. They have to tell him enough information that they get him moving and going and prepared, but they also don't want to say like, hey, by the way, Aragorn's on the way to take the throne. Right. <laughs> and also your son is dead. And also the last interaction we have with we had with him, he wasn't exactly great. He was kind yeah. of the worst. The worst. Well, Pippin doesn't know that part though, right? Like Pippin actually doesn't know that that happened because- Oh, that's true, the, right. The last thing that he knows is that Boromir was defending him and Mary from the orcs and, you know, got shot up full of arrows and died. And then they were carried off. So the only people know what happened with Boromir and Frodo are Aragorn and Frodo. I don't even yeah, think I Gandalf Aragorn, knows. Unless, right. I guess it's possible that Aragorn told I'm Gandalf. trying to think because I don't, because I think, I'm trying to remember what happens because this is like, oh my God, all the way at the end of Fellowship, which feels like years ago. Yeah. Oh, which by the way, the end of Fellowship slash the very beginning of Two Towers in the in the timeline of this book was 13 days ago. That feels, <laughs> it feels like what we're experiencing now in like Corona time where it's like, what do you mean It's it's been April for only 15 days? It's yeah. definitely been April for 17 years. Yeah. It's only been 13 days. That's madness to me. But so I think Boromir, he and Frodo have the like weird confrontation. And then Boromir like comes to his senses is like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And then I think he comes like shuffling back to the group and he doesn't come out and say, oh, I tried to take the ring from Frodo, but, or maybe, I don't even think he returns to the group. I think like after a while, everyone's like, oh, Frodo hasn't come back. And then the, I think that's what happens. Yeah. And then all the orcs And then come. they all split right. up and then the orcs come. Right. Yeah. So I guess the group doesn't know, but I feel like Gandalf knows just because it's Gandalf. Yeah. He probably knows, but he's sure as hell not going to say anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. So they enter the city. I just want to read off this passage because it sounds beautiful and wonderful compared to the four walls of my apartment that I've been looking at for the past two weeks. <laughs> then Pippin cried aloud for the Tower of Ecthal. 
Thelion, sure, that's how we're going to pronounce it, standing high within the topmost wall, shone out against the sky, glimmering like a spike of pearl and silver, tall and fair and shapely, and its pinnacle glittered as if it were wrought of crystals, and white banners broke and fluttered from the battlements in the morning breeze, and high and far he heard a clear ringing as of silver trumpets. So they have arrived to Minas Tirith. And the city, it took me, it took me a bit to like understand how it was laid out, but I eventually had to make this metaphor in my mind of it's like a cake. It's a tiered cake and (laughs) it's like set against a mountain. Now all I want is for someone to make a cake that looks like Minas Tirith. (laughs) I will bet you money, by the way, that somebody has done that. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like it's, surely somebody has done that. So here's a question I have. Are, are you a person who like goes back to check the map as yes. things go along? You are? Okay. Because I like I like to look at the maps and that like, oh, this is a pretty illustration. But I really don't ever bother to like try to figure out like, okay, if they were here and then they were there, where are they now? And I, it never even occurs to me to be like, how is this city laid out? I'm just like, whatever. I don't I like it. If it matters, they'll tell me. And if it doesn't matter, then who cares? Like, I don't I need to know that. It's so, I'm so blase about those kinds of details and it, it stumps other people as well. Like I always forget that you know, not everybody reads that way. Um, and it's really funny to me to even because I, I just feel like I don't know how you stop to like think about it. Like because then you'd have to stop reading to think about it. And don't you just like my brain just wants to keep reading. So it's <laughs> I go back and forth with this book with our dear friend Tolkien because (laughs) it's funny that you say like oh well if it matters about where they are or the layout of the city if that matters they'll tell us except for with Tolkien he will tell you no matter what he will tell you if it doesn't matter so it's hard for me to tell to be like because it happens a lot where I'll be reading and I'll be like oh the geography of this land and like where they are in relation to everything else doesn't matter at this point. And then I'll get a few pages ahead and I'll be like, whoops, actually it does matter. And then I'll like (laughs) go and look at a map. And particularly I felt like it was not important, but it kind of made, made it easier when I was reading two towers because the group was in so many different places and they were traveling like from one place to another and it was easier for me to be like oh okay so they were in this field and they traveled up here and oh okay that's where Helm's Deep is and that's how far it is to Isengard and and things like that but yeah this one I, I was, like, trying to figure out at the beginning of the chapter where they were, like, as they were still traveling. Mm-hmm. And it, it got to a point I was like, what does it matter? They're going to Minas Tirith. I was right. like, I know, I know where that is. It's a dot on this map. And what's funny is that, like, it's so close to where Frodo, Sam, and Gollum are mm-hmm. in that, like, so it's like, meanwhile, in Frodo, yeah. Sam, Gollum land, I think at this point they are like in the dead marshes or like about to leave the dead marshes. And so like they are not too, and they're about to, like they're pretty close. Like obviously none of them would have known, been like, oh, if we just ride our horses, you know, one day north, we'll find Frodo, Sam, and Gollum. Obviously mm-hmm. none of them know that, but like it's just funny to look at the map and be like, oh, they're like almost right next to each other and they like yeah. don't even know it. So, but yeah, I agree with you. It's 
it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And I just take the easy way out and don't care. <laughs> no. That's that's what I that's what I do, especially when he goes into like and by the way, here's the entire history of the land and the people who lived here and everything. Uh, most of the time I'm like, oh, this doesn't matter. One time I was, oh, where was, it was, it's the story of Baron And Luthien, yeah. Yeah, and Luthien, yeah. And, and Aragorn Aragorn's is telling, telling it. it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm sure, I'm like, I'm sure this dumb, like, folktale that he's telling has absolutely nothing to do with anything. And then, like, as I got further on, I was like, oh, wait, wait, that was actually like a metaphor for Ar- Aragorn's <laughs> life, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the times I do the same thing where my eyes will gloss over and I'll be like, I don't need to know about this or that or whatever. And then I'll be like, oh, shoot, I probably should have actually read that a little bit yeah, closer. I, I always read those bits and I actually mostly I like them every now and then I get a little like skimmy. Like I think actually at the beginning of this chapter when Gandalf is like, oh, it's the, you know, he's naming places that the beacons are or, you know, he's giving some history to Pippin. If there's too many proper names, I will skim those because I'm not going to try right. to pronounce all of those in my brain. Oh, right. But Same. um, Same. but I do. I don't. I think maybe just because I was exposed to it at such a young age, I don't mind the meanderings. Like I it just like feels like that's what it is. Like that's if you don't have the meanderings, this is half of a book this whole three trilogy is half of a book um and so so it doesn't bother me but just i just meant like trying to physically like imagine you know where things are in relationship to other things geographically or you know what the city's layout is like that's where i just i'm like whatever <laughs> i it just i just can't bring myself to take the mental time to figure it out in my head but i think that might just be laziness Okay, sorry, that was a very loud car on my street. Sir, you should be at home. We yeah. should all be at home right now. They are going through the city, and Pippin notices that, like, even though it's very pretty and, and like, white and shiny, he realizes that it's kind of slowly falling apart. It's seen, it's very weathered. But it's pretty empty, and there's, like, not a lot. There aren't, like, a bunch of kids running around. There's not a lot of, like, joy or anything just within the, the city. And he can tell that, like, some something's happening. Like, everyone in Minas Tirith knows that something is about to happen. And later, I think, we find out that it's actually been in the process of, like, being evacuated. All of the, mm-hmm. like, old people and the women and children. And, and that's why it's so empty. This is where I meant to go back into Towers and read. It's at the end of book in the Palantir chapter and Gandalf gives this like poem or song or whatever it is about the orb that Pippin had looked into and had been like possessed by Sauron or whatever happened there. And it has the line seven stars and seven stones and one white tree. And Pippin notices that there's like a single dead tree kind of in the center of town, just sitting there wilting and it looks gross. And he's like, that's kind of weird that they just have this one dead tree that uh, amongst all these beautiful, like very alive trees. I wonder what what that is. 
And then he mentions like this line of one white tree. And I was like, hmm, I'm guessing that dead tree is the one white tree, whatever the significance of that is. I don't exactly remember. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to be more bound to the text anyway, Pippin doesn't know what it means either. This is true. (laughs) You know, like we're getting Pippin's perspective here. He has no idea what the significance of the tree is. All he knows is that Gandalf said some poetry about it. So, you know, in that regard, you're just on the same page as the character. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And that's why I'm thankful every now and then that the that these stories are from the perspective of hobbits because yeah. <laughs> usually at any given time i understand as much of what's going on as as pippin does mm-hmm. so that's always good uh, so they approach the i don't want to say castle <laughs> tower they're approaching like where the king would be and where the lord is what would you call that they, they go in they go inside a fancy building <laughs> a, a very official building i just don't know what the word is it's the citadel right that's it yeah that's the great word for it um and as they're walking in gandalf says be careful of your words master peregrine this is no time for hobbit pertness gandalf says don't this is where he reminds him and says don't say too much especially do not mention Aragorn Merry and Pippin all of the hobbits really hold Aragorn up like in the highest regard and they're like what but Strider he's amazing he's our favorite why would I not talk about him I love this line from Gandalf. It is scarcely wise when bringing the news of the death of his heir to a mighty lord to speak over much of the coming of one who will if he comes claim the kingship And it's like, all right, Pippin, let's think about this, bro. You're about to tell this guy how his favorite son died brutally. I don't think this is the time to mention that, by the way, there is someone coming to take the throne of this land that currently I think Denethor is like the highest power or highest control over Gondor currently because Aragorn is not king Yet. Yet, yes. Well, so that's the best part. I mean, first of all, Pippin has no idea what Gandalf is talking about. Oh, my I favorite love that. Yeah. This. He's like, what king, king what? Like, why would Strider be king of anything? Like, as far as Pippin is concerned. Co- yeah, it says, kingship, said Pippin, amazed. Yes, said Gandalf. If you have walked all these days with closed ears and mind to sleep, wake up now. He's like, seriously, how have you made it this far without <laughs> picking up on the fact that Aragorn is going to be the king of Gondor? <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, I mean, he just is so clueless, which is, you know, par for the course with Pippin, like 100%, like is only concerned with second breakfast and amusing himself. Like that's, you know, these are Pippin's priorities. And uh, although, again, he's growing, he's he's learning. But yeah, I just love how clueless he is about all of those things. So they walk into this hall and there are a lot of mentions of like black marble or black stone. And because Tolkien is usually pretty like straightforward when he's like, oh, the bad thing is black and the good thing is white. So it's always very tricky whenever they enter. I think this happened when they were meeting Theoden. There were a couple mentions of like something being black. And to me, that's always a tip off of like, Something is suspicious here. Don't don't be suspicious. suspicious. I don't completely trust the situation. Like I mentioned a couple minutes ago or at the start of this episode of like, I don't know what to make of Denethor exactly. Granted, this is only the first chapter that like 
were meeting him and interacting with him. So I'm sure I will make up my mind as the book moves forward with him. Yeah, so they enter and this is talking about Denethor. Pippin saw his carven face with its proud bones and skin like ivory and the long curved nose between the dark, deep eyes. And he was reminded not so much of Boromir as of Aragorn. Dark indeed is the hour, said the old man. And at such times you were wont to come, Mithrandir. So I love that he's like, great. You're here, Gandalf. Amazing how you seem to only show up when things are terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gandalf gets it from the guards, too, on his way into Gondor. Everybody's just like, oh, no, Gandalf is coming. That means nothing good for any of us. Uh, And he's always just like, I come when it's important. (laughs) Like, And this is important. (laughs) Right, right. It's 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 not my fault that. I own like, right. maybe something important will happen soon. That's good. I don't know. Don't hate the messenger. Exactly. Denethor is holding the broken horn of Boromir's. And so he has obviously learned by now that Boromir is dead. And he says that he wishes Faramir had gone in his place and had died instead of Boromir because Boromir is his favorite son for whatever reason I do not understand because Faramir is definitely the better of the two brothers in my mind because Boromir is the absolute worst. (laughs) (laughs) It's like God was making the brothers and first he made Boromir and he's like, oh crap, I really went heavy handed on the stubbornness and everything. I think I'll, I'll dial it back on the next one and then he made Faramir and it was so much better (laughs) yeah I think as I get older I have a little bit more sympathy for Boromir but also he does just make the absolute worst choices yeah and then he also mentions since Pippin is walking in he also mentions that like they're talking about halflings and he, he's like, oh, I hate halflings because they're the ones that brought my son out onto this journey where he died. So it's like, OK, so right off the bat, <laughs> he hates halflings or at least doesn't have any positive association with them. He wishes Faramir had died instead of Boromir. And he's mad that Gandalf is only showing up when there's trouble brewing. So it's already it's just like ah, not a good start. <laughs> to this not a good first impression to say the least so Denethor kind of confronts Pippin and asks him what he knows about the horn and everything and Denethor mentions that he heard the horn blowing off in the distance 13 days ago which is how we know that that it's been 13 days since the end of fellowship so uh Denethor kind of interrogates and intimidates also Pippin and Asks him about Boromir, and he and Pippin says, He died to save us, my kinsmen, Mariadoc, and myself, waylaid in the woods by the soldiery of the Dark Lord. And though he fell and failed, my gratitude is none the less. And then Pippin does like a very brave, like valiant, noble thing that really surprised me. He takes out his sword and lays it at the feet of Denethor and like pledges his loyalty and service and service to Denethor and to Gondor and basically be a a soldier in their army, which is just hilarious because Pippin is small. We learn later is smaller than a child. (laughs) 
Okay, but small but mighty. Let's small not forget our Shakespeare. True. Like that's hobbits true. are. He has already been through Whites and Isengard and has hung out with Ents. Like, and he's a little taller now since the Ents, right? So <laughs> that's true. Maybe he's grown a little bit. Size yeah. isn't, you know, the the determiner of valiance. Yeah, it was just. I just yeah. I wrote down what a nice moment for Pippin. It's yeah. it's very. Just a just a great moment for him to be like, yeah, I'm stepping up, I'm taking charge, I'm showing my my gratefulness for Boromir. Oh, I should. Oh, so <laughs> people have been telling me all this time that I've been reading and complaining about Boromir. Oh, just wait, just wait. He gets redeemed, and I'm wondering if this is where if, if this is what people are thinking of when they're like, oh, he is redeemed, and I was like. Is he redeemed because he saved the hobbits? Because I thought that was implied. Like I've always, I've been reading these with with kind of the knowledge or the assumption that Boromir died trying to protect Merry and Pippin. So that changes nothing for me in my opinion of Boromir <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, that's the only real redemption that I can think of. Like it's that is supposed to, yeah, be his making up for his ill-advised attempt to take the ring yeah and that's not enough for you i mean it's a very nice gesture (laughs) but uh still not enough it's it's not even that it's it's mostly just that like people were really bugging me about like how could you hate boromir he's the greatest character he's so brave (gasps) and nice and he pretend i was like what i was like are we reading the same books here i was like i don't think he's completely awful but he's definitely not great i don't know i have yet to meet somebody who's like oh yeah barmere's awesome so i (laughs) i I have not had that conversation i would be curious to hear the logic on that one the other thing that i was thinking is that it could also be that some people find that getting a full view of denethor tells you a lot about why boromir is the way he is You could argue that, you know, daddy issues, as it were, have shaped him in a lot of ways. Uh, And so that also might be part of like, you know, the belated complexifying of Boromir's character. But yeah, in terms of like actual things that are redemptive for him, I think it's I think it's really saving Pippin and Mary is the thing. That part, honestly, though, confuses me when people are like, oh, you'll you'll understand his character more when you meet his dad. So that made me think, oh, he's like he's like the Zuko character and his no. father, his father has outcast him and he hates him. Once I deliver the avatar to my father, he will welcome me home with honor and restore my rightful place on the throne. So it it confused me when we find out that Boromir is, like, it's widely known that, which, by the way, poor Faramir, that, like, every, it's just, Speaking like, of a Zuko knowledge. character, like, if anything, <laughs> like, Boromir is more Azula than Zuko, and Faramir is much more Zuko. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that, like, oh, Denethor's favorite son is Boromir, and people are like, and that's why Boromir has issues, and it's like, I don't get it. He was his dad's favorite. Well, there's a lot of expectations that come with being the favorite, right? Like, you... I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's not worse for Faramir. I absolutely think it is to have your dad be like, you should have died instead of my other son. Like, that's <laughs> not great. That's not that's not OK. Poor dad. Uh, 
But I think that, you know, living up to your father's expectations, whether you believe you're succeeding or not, is a great deal of pressure, especially when, you know, your dad is the steward of Gondor and a lord and very important, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the fate of the world is, you know, involved. So, I, But I don't think it excuses anything. And I don't think it, you know, does that much more to change his dynamic. I just wonder if that's if that's what people are thinking that would be my guess yeah is what i'm saying i could i could i could see that i just i just thought i'd jump in here and add that like on my on my journey of of boromir the character this didn't redeem him for me y'all and i'm sorry <laughs> if that makes you mad but but you can you can talk about how much you love boromir on your boromir fan cast there you go <laughs> After Pippin's little, like, swearing-in ceremony, almost, Gandalf says, okay, this is fun and all, but, like, I didn't come all this way, and Shadowfax didn't run for, like, five days straight for us to just swear in a hobbit to your army. We have, like, important issues to discuss. And Denethor and Gandalf have, like, this weird tension and weird, they have, like, a stare-down almost. It says, Denethor looked indeed much more like a great wizard than Gandalf did, more kingly, beautiful, and powerful, and older. Yet by a sense other than sight, Pippin perceived that Gandalf had the greater power and the deeper wisdom and a majesty that was veiled. So while Gandalf and Denethor are having this, like, weird stare-down, kind of, Pippin's also just standing there like, I wonder how old Gandalf is. <laughs> Literally just says, he goes, and he was older, far older. How much older, he wondered. And then he thought about how odd it was that he had never thought about it before. And I'm like, oh my God, Pippin. <laughs> the most clueless. <laughs> oh, Pippin. So Denethor says that they're going to sit down and have some tea and cakes and he's going to ask Pippin all about his journey so far in his travels with Boromir and what they've done and everything. So they sit down and Pippin tells him all of this uh, story. And it says, all the while conscious of Gandalf at his side, watching and listening. And so Pippin felt holding in check a rising wrath and impatience. And it becomes, well, I should say, Gandalf is later like, I see what you're doing here, Denethor. You're not... He's like, I understand why you're interrogating Pippin and not me. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> Can you explain it to me? So Denethor's like, tactic for some reason is to interrogate and talk to Pippin, who obviously doesn't know nearly as much as what of what's going on as Gandalf does. And Gandalf clearly can like see this is clearly happening. He's like, okay, Denethor is not asking me anything and is not talking to me because I don't know, he wants to avoid the problem somehow. Well, I think it's craftiness. I mean, I think it's clear that Gandalf is only going to tell Denethor the things that he wants to tell Denethor. And Denethor is not going to get anything out of Gandalf that Gandalf oh. doesn't want to tell him. And he's like, well, here's this other, you know, clearly not a wizard at the very least. Probably I can browbeat him into telling me things that Gandalf might not want me to know, which 
Gandalf has already told Pippin, you can't tell him everything. But like Denethor, I think, is wise enough to know that Gandalf's not going to give him the full story. So he might as well try to get what he can out of this relative bystander, as it were. That's a great. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. That's a great point that like he might inadvertently learn something from Pippin that he won't learn from Gandalf. Exactly. Um, And at the end of this conversation of Pippin telling him all about Boromir and and everything that's happened so far, Gandalf like calls Denethor out and is like, "I see what you're doing here, and I'm not having any anything of it. We need to talk. We need to have a serious conversation." Denethor is like, "Nope, I'm good." And they end their meeting there. <laughs> and so later after their talk, Gandalf tells Pippin that like, "Oh well, in the telling of your story." Even though you did a good... Because Pippin, at like a cute little child, he's like, did I do good? <laughs> he's yeah. like, did I do a good job of not, of not completely spilling the beans about everything? <laughs> Gandalf uh, is like, well, there was no way for you to hide the fact that it wasn't Boromir who was leading the fight in Moria and that you were traveling with someone of a very like high regard like Aragorn and that Denethor was able to figure out those things but but that was it so in terms of Pippin like that's pretty good he didn't let anything slip other than like those couple like random contextual things that kind of piece together the the journey that they've been on so far and then this is another thing that I was kind of confused about. Gandalf says, talking about Boromir and Denethor and everything, it says, whatever be his descent from father to son, by some chance the blood of Westerness runs true, runs nearly true in him, as it does in his other son Faramir, and yet did not in Boromir, whom he loved best. So what does that mean? That the blood of Westerness runs in Denethor and Faramir, but not Boromir. I don't know if you know what that means, or if yeah. you're allowed to reveal that. But. Right. So I think it's a callback to like the the lineage of Gondor and, you know, Denethor comes from a line that they're not the kings, but they were pretty close to being the kings. So like they aren't they're part of the royalty of Gondor. And I think what Gandalf is saying is that like that blood is very like it comes with some powers. Of some like mental powers, as it were, of discernment or nobility, or you know, it's this old, like, I think very outdated idea that, like, you know, blood will tell, like, that you can inherit wisdom or you know, qualities from your heritage that you might not otherwise have. And, and I think he's like, this is his dig at Boromir. He's like, yeah, Faramir's smart and wise and all that jazz, but Boromir clearly did not get any of that. Like, it skipped right over Boromir, even though Denethor loves him the most. Um, so okay, that's so, yeah. That, that kind of adds to context. I read the, I also read the Sparknote summary for this. And it very, like, nonchalantly mentions, it was like, Denethor, who has the power to read minds. And I was like, what? When did they mention that at any point in this chapter? I was like, I'm glad I read the spark notes, I guess. But, like, because I completely missed that. Is that what is being referred to here? That he can read minds and Faramir can, too? 
I mean, it, the line right in the same bit is uh, he can perceive if he bends his will thither much of what is passing in the minds of men. Oh, of those that dwell far off. I didn't think off. that meant literally. Well, I think again. <laughs> I think that I think I think saying oh that he can read minds is a stretch. Like I don't think Tolkien was like, yeah, yeah, they're telepathic. It's fine. Like I don't think that's what's happening there. But I think what I I would say my interpretation of it. Is that, yeah, Denethor is super sharp and like maybe in the way that, you know, I don't know, like con men is like a bad example, but that's what I'm going with. Like can like read people and tell yeah. like, are, are they lying? Are they telling the truth? What do they want? What is their body language telling me? Like that kind of stuff. But like maybe a little bit more than that. But he's not like straight up telepathic. Like he's not okay. a straight up mind reader. It just made no. me laugh. I was like, I okay, Spark Notes. <laughs> I mean, listen, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, go home, Spark Notes. You're drunk. Like was- that's not actually what's going on here. Man, uh, yeah, so I was like, all right, then that's that's quite a thing to learn via Sparknotes. Also, yeah. like, I 100%, if I had been like reading this in high school and was writing an essay, that definitely would have been a thing that like my <laughs> teacher would have been like, yeah, your essay was great, but I just wanted to, I had a question about this. Where, do, right. where is it in the book? That Denethor can read minds. And I would right. be like, I don't know. Sparknotes said it. <laughs> <laughs> so Gandalf tells Pippin that they have to be careful. He was like, that was a very valiant, noble thing that you did of offering your service to Denethor and to Gondor. However, that was also a big mistake because now Denethor has some kind of like power and control over you. And we have to be very careful about that. Yeah, he says, you are at his command and he will not forget. Be wary still. And that's just a very classic Gandalf, vague, ominous statement of like, be wary. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his parting words before he leaves Pippin to be on his own for the rest of the day. I highlighted it only because it's like, this is, this is just scarily relevant. Well, no need to brood on what tomorrow may bring. For one thing, tomorrow will be certain to bring worse than today for many days to come. Oh. And I'm like, yep, that's that's where we're all at right now. Yeah. <laughs> of like, yeah. for many days, it's going to be like this for many days to come. Oh, and then as he's leaving Gandalf, of course, ask Pippin to go check on Shadowfax, which is his number one priority. Let's be honest. <laughs> Obviously. So later, a guard comes by named Baragond. Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Baragond shows up to tell Pippin all these passwords that will get him into, I guess, secret places in the city and to kind of show him around. And he asks him about Gandalf. And I love this that Pippin says. He says, I kind of know Gandalf, but not really. But there is much to read in that book. And I cannot claim to have seen more than a page or two. And I love that metaphor of that, like, Gandalf is a huge, long book. And even though this is like, an important chunk of his life that's happening right now. I only, I barely know what's happening with him. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. So Baragond takes, of course, Pippin's concern is food. 
Uh, and he's like, <laughs> I haven't had food yet today. When are we going to have second breakfast and elevensies and all that, all those fun meals and stuff? And Baragon is like, oh, well, usually our soldiers just have like a little bit to eat in the morning. Yeah, we've already eaten a while ago and usually no one's going to eat for a while more. It's going to be a lot longer. Pippin's like, uh, I don't know about that. And Baragon reads <laughs> his mind and is like, don't worry, we'll go get food. So they go to like a little pub kind of have like a nice charcuterie board of like cheeses Mm -hmm. and apple slices and bread and butter and I was like that sounds like a delicious snack Pippin tells him of like his journeys so far and he talks about they talk about Gondor and the Shire and honestly this is like this whole section is just a lot of talking about like Kind of what we were talking about earlier of of they're talking a lot about the logistics of the city and the soldiers. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Asgillioth stuff is sort of important. Like Pippin learns a little oh, bit yeah, more about true. that. Um, and and we do know, you know, well, I know that that's important. I don't know. This is, this is where we get back to it. I'm like, do you know that that's important? Did I just like spill some beans? Anyway, no, Asgillioth no, <laughs> is going to be important again. I mean, Frodo and Sam were already there. Yeah. Right. No, they're not. I don't think they go to Asgillioth. They are not there in two towers. OK. All right. Or are they? I don't know. I know. I know about like the the history and kind of like the legend of it, I guess, yeah, yeah. the kind of like the historical context surrounding it as it yeah. pertains to the story. Um, mm-hmm. So they're they're looking like off into the distance and talking about this battle that's going to happen and everything that is to come and talking and Pippin's like, this is awful. This like just the anticipation of knowing something crazy and bad is about to happen. Pippin says, now everything seems to have slowed up again. Only because everything is now ready, said Baragond. It is but the deep breath before the plunge. And I love that line. It is the deep Mm. breath before the plunge. Which is just like another poetic way of saying the calm before the storm. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I liked Baragond. I was like, oh, he's a new person. He's interesting. He seems nice. And then it gets even better, right? So yeah, they have like a nice little uh, like camaraderie and everyone, all of the so- later on when they go to lunch, like all of the soldiers are fascinated by Pippin because he's, a, you know, he's a hobbit. Mm-hmm. So he's different from their normal life and, and what they're used to seeing and everything. And they just want to hear his stories. And it's just funny because it's like Pippin is uh, up until now. He's, he, you know, he lived what he assumed was like such an ordinary, boring life. And then now all these people are like, tell me about this and this and that because yeah. your life is so interesting to us. So off in the distance, is this where they hear? No, they just have like a moment to sit together and feel down and ominous and kind of this happens a lot in the in this story where everyone will just like get a feeling they get like a bad feeling because some kind of like darkness will pass over them there was this one line where Tolkien does this a lot where it's like there's a very blurred line between this is a fantasy realm and a fantasy war and then him bringing in his own experiences from the war And this line, this is a great war long planned, and we are but one piece in it, whatever pride may say. And that seemed like such a very realistic thing of like, people could talk about how great 
this war is and it's, you know, bigger things are happening here all they want. But like, we're just a tiny cog in, in what's happening right now. And that's a very like scary thing for, for them to realize. And Baragon also mm, says, mm-hmm. and now all realms shall be put to the test to stand or fall under the shadow. And it's like just very ominous. <laughs> Yeah, he's not exactly, I mean, he is a cheerful kind of person, but also he's very aware and realistic, which I appreciated, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a nice balance, I guess. Yeah, it's not like false hope or false optimism. Right. Um, And, oh, that's right. Okay. So they do hear, because this happens so much in the books where they hear like screeching or screaming off in the distance that I'm like, does this happen here or later on? (laughs) But it happens here. Uh, This is Pippin. He shuddered and hope seemed to wither. And even at that moment, the sun for a second faltered and was obscured as though a dark wing had passed across it. Almost beyond hearing, he thought he caught high and far up in the heaven a cry, faint but heart quelling, cruel and cold. He blanched and cowered against the wall. That's like this sign that like it's happening, it's coming, this this force of, of darkness and evil from Mordor and Sauron is is approaching us. I always read that as literally one of the Morgals are like riding over on one of their winged beasts. Like, oh yeah, I think I like... think it was that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's a literal like you know, horror beast flying overhead, making everything oh, yeah. terrible. <laughs> but also, I mean, there is also obviously the metaphorical, like not so metaphorical, the ominous threat of of Mordor is there too. Uh, to me, it, uh, I kind of saw this as like, this is like their first like visual, actual physical sign of like, all right, things are kicking off now. Right, right, right. I got you. There was like some whiplash here where they go from being very like dark and ominous to being pretty optimistic and hopeful in like the snap of a finger. Because right after this, this like moment passes where they're both like overcome by fear, I guess. And... Pippin says, we may stand if only on one leg or at least be left still upon our knees. And they kind of regain their their courage and their strength to kind of carry forward and onward. But Pippin still has in the back of his mind this one thought. Uh, Earlier, Gandalf was saying that like Denethor is playing a game and he has the board all set. And Pippin thinks, upon did Gandalf say, perhaps but on the wrong chessboard. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. Pippin's like not sure if he's in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Again, character growth. <laughs> <It's> so nice. <laughs> so refreshing. I know. Oh yeah, this is when they go to lunch and they have with more of the soldiers or something, or maybe it's dinner, I can't remember. Um, I don't know what meal it is because they just eat no. whenever. <laughs> he, I was really proud of Pippin, Pippin here because he's having like a grand old time telling stories and talking to all these people. He's drinking ale and having a lot of food. And it says, indeed, his only trouble was to be wary, according to the Council of Gandalf, and not to let his tongue wag freely after the manner of a hobbit among friends. So I was pretty proud that like Pippin was here talking, having a nice lunch or dinner or whatever. He's drinking and he didn't let anything slip. Like, good job. I know. He can be taught. (laughs) Oh, and they call him. That's right. I highlighted this. They call him the Prince of the Halflings, the Companion of Mithrandir. 
And that's just so yeah. cute. <laughs> it is pretty solid. They think he's like this big important as uh, Pippin's like walking around town and everything because he has to. He and Baragond, I keep forgetting his name, have to part because Baragond has to go do something. And he says, oh, you can go see my son. He's like down by the dock somewhere. You can go hang out with him if you want some company. And as Pippin's walking around, everyone calls him the Prince of the Halflings, the Companion of Mithrandir. So Pippin goes down to find Baragon's son, Burgil or Burgil. Yeah, who knows? Burgil? I don't know. And he is a 10-year-old boy. I thought when Baragon was talking about his son is still in the city, I thought he meant like his teenage son or his like young adult (laughs) son. So he's essentially set Pippin up on a play date. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And Virgil is like, who do you think you are? He's like, oh, how old are you? I'm 10 years old and I'm five foot one. And Pippin's like, I'm a grown I'm not a man. I'm a grown hobbit. I'm not a child. And Virgil and his like friends don't believe him. And Pippin is like ready to challenge them to a wrestling match to prove that he's not a child, which I just think is great and hilarious. It's a really fun moment, like a very nice lighthearted moment. Yeah, it is very nice to have this bit of lightheartedness in the in the midst of, you know, ominous presence hovering and charging forward towards where they are. Um, Mm -hmm. Burgle and Pippin like run around the city and just like have a fun time together. And like I said, it's like (laughs) a play date. (laughs) Yeah, it really that is a really good way to describe it. (laughs) And Burgle is really impressed because Pippin can get him into certain parts of the city that him and none of the other boys, I think all of the boys actually are coming with him. So it's just Pippin with like a gaggle of 10 year old boys just running around the city. <laughs> they hear this trumpeting and Forlong, old Forlong the Fat, the lord of Lorsarnach, sure, is coming to Minas Tirith. And thus begins a very long parade of like, oh, they came with 300 soldiers and this lord or or whoever came from this land with 500 soldiers and like Mm -hmm. and each time they mention like a new person coming they say like oh that's not as many soldiers as we would have hoped but once you add it all up it says 3,000 yeah or less than 3,000 full told no more would come so I mean but that still sounds like that's not nothing you know I feel like they at least stand somewhat of a chance granted I haven't seen the other armies yet, but I feel like that's a good number. I mean, I think I think it's interesting here because I feel like what Tolkien is telling us is that, and it wasn't even 3,000, is, is supposed to be our cue that like, oh, this is not enough. Like this is, like that's how many soldiers the enemy has. This is nowhere near enough, which is pretty, it's pretty grim. Yeah, that's a good way to look, <laughs> to, to look at that of like, This is a lot of soldiers, and even though it's a lot, it's still probably not enough. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Everyone's coming to the city to prepare for a battle that will be happening, I'm sure, in a couple chapters. (laughs) Um, Because I think the next chapter, we jump back, yeah, to Aragorn and Merry and Legolas and everyone else. So I guess we'll see what happens here. Um, in the in the future with that battle and those soldiers and stuff. So Pippin goes back yeah. to his little... I don't remember how long it takes to get to that battle, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I'm conflicted because I want to like go to my table of contents and read the names of the chapters, which is what I did for Fellowship and Two Towers. But like it gave away a lot of stuff. Because in Two Towers, there's there's a chapter called like The Voice of Saruman. And I was like, okay, so obviously we're going to meet Saruman in this book. So I'm trying not to like look too far ahead and be like, I don't want to like learn any new information that might mm. um, like give something away or I don't know, make me try and like go into a chapter with a certain frame of mind that... So I'm trying to go in as blindly as possible at this point. But right. I'm assuming... Right. I hope... I, I that a battle happens soon because if not, there's just going to be a lot of chapters of them waiting around for a battle to happen. Yeah. Especially with the last line when Pippin, go- Pippin goes back to his little house where they're staying and Gandalf comes home later and tells him to go to sleep and try and get some rest while he can. And this is the last line of the chapter. Gandalf says, the darkness has begun. There will be no dawn. Like, how ominous and... Pretty bleak. And creepy is that. So, like, that makes me think that, like, something's going to happen soon. And, like, this is is it. But I also am confused because, like, this is just the first chapter of this book. Like, there's, there's, you know, maybe 200 more pages left for things to happen. Maybe there will be several battles. I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I shall say nothing. <laughs> That's I should have told you at the start of this uh, episode, but you can always plead the fifth and just not respond yeah. <laughs> to anything I say. Yeah, so that's the end of this first chapter of The Return of the King. Do you have any like thoughts or something that you didn't get to, something we might have passed over that you didn't get to share? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's, it's actually... A chapter in which things happen, which is nice because you don't always yep. get that. And, That's always nice. And you do you do get some interesting character development from Pippin and Gandalf and you meet Denethor. So yeah, it's like it's actually a pretty solid packed chapter. Definitely. So before we uh, wrap up the episode, where can people find you on the internet? Yes. So you can find me podcasting for Book Riot. Uh, I'm actually on two podcasts in addition to the sci-fi fantasy podcast that we do, which is called SFF. Yeah, as you said at the top. I also do uh, a podcast called Get Booked with Amanda Nelson as my co-host. And we do book recommendations for people who write into the show, which is super fun. So there's sci-fi and fantasy, but lots of other things as well. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram mostly at I am. Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And what is something that you would recommend to listeners who are probably already fans of Lord of the Rings? Um, so whether it's a TV show, a book or something that you think they would also enjoy? Well, I will say actually that I think N.K. Jemisin's duology, the first one is The Killing Moon and the second one is The Shadowed Sun. They're not like elves and orcs and wizards, but they are a really fascinating high fantasy two book series that's set in a world inspired by like Egypt and other old African civilizations. So the magic is a completely different kind of system. And I think it's interesting to see because, you know, so much of high fantasy 
is basically Lord of the Rings remixed in various ways. It's European. It's kind of all dealing with the same magical structure. But I find it super fun to see what a high fantasy looks like that's not based on, you know, medieval Europe or the Norse sagas. So I would definitely recommend those two books, The Killing Moon and The Shadowed Sun by N.K. Jemisin. That's awesome. Great. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about that by going to WBNE.org. And might I suggest listening to Hello from Elsewhere, um, which is hosted by the always wonderful Valerie and Casey Winters. Hi, I'm Valerie. And I'm Casey. And we're a married couple who loves to travel through fictional worlds. On our podcast, Hello from Elsewhere, we dive deep into the themes and characters of movies and books, all through a positive lens. We explore all your biggest questions, like... What is Steven Spielberg's obsession with father figures? What is the history of fictional maps? And why are animated foxes so attractive? Oh, Robin Hood. From Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Jane Austen. To Star Wars, Marvel, and classic Hollywood. If it's pop culture, we're interested in exploring the meaning behind it. With new episodes every other Friday, come visit us in Elsewhere. The cover art is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, as well as join the Facebook group. There will be a link in the description. I suggest joining it because we share just lots of memes and jokes in there, and it's just fun. You can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram, MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the page. Oh, I need to get a sponsor of the week. The sponsor of the week. The sponsor of the week is Johan. Oh, I need to get my phone so I can read the pronunciation that you sent me. Okay, Johan, I am about to pronounce your name correctly. The sponsor of this week's episode is Johan. Yep, I definitely just said that correctly. That was definitely me and not a robot at all. Thank you, Johan, for your continued support of the show. It means a lot to me, especially during this awful, horrible time that we're all going through right now. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod. There you can access a lot of extra fun content, such as early access to bonus episodes when I do them, which I have been doing a lot of bonus episodes. So a couple weeks ago, the discussion question was to tell me what your favorite fictional monster is or a monster that you just think is cool. In our Discord group, Brian said dragons and was wondering if they counted as monsters because usually they're kind of like, they're more sentient or they're more intelligent. I think dragons count. Dragons have very cool mythology and everything behind them. They're very cool. Casey Winters, of course, gave like the most intellectual answer possible to this question. And he said Frankenstein's monster. And I'm like, well, I mean, fine. How dare you go be smart? I also agree with you that it's pretty cool. But also Frankenstein's monster may be the monster, but the real monster is actually Frankenstein. Okay, and then a lot of people said Ungoliant, which I'm assuming is a monster I have not yet met. So we will see what happens when he or she or they make an appearance. The discussion question for this week is, when was the last time you were really excited to start of a TV show, a book series? What was the last time you were really excited to start the final book in a trilogy or the final or go see the final movie in a series or watch the final season of a TV show. I'm really excited for the upcoming season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's the last season, which I will be depressed about for the rest of my life. 
But it looks amazing because it's set in the 1930s and they're all hot. (laughs) So I'm really excited for that to come out. I'm also excited for Return of the King, but they're not as hot. So tell me your answers on social media. So all that being said, do you have any parting words for our audience? Oh, parting words. Uh, No, I'm just kind of dying to see what your response is to the movies, but that's like a ways away from you. So, uh, so I guess for listeners, I hope I hope that everybody has good reading material. We're all in such a weird life place right now, and so many things are so uncertain. And I don't know about y'all, but I am not having a lot of luck focusing on books. It's been hard to read. So I hope that if you are also having trouble reading, you have good other distractions. Oh, ain't that the truth. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Like, coming up this week, there will be a bonus episode on Saturday. It is the Q&A episode for post Two Towers Return of the King. Wait, no. It will have already come out. I don't know what day it is anymore. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're listening to me have a breakdown live on microphone. Oh, my God. I don't know what day it is. Okay. This past Saturday, there was a Q&A episode, so forget all that crap I said in the... I can't believe 